CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTRLive, and look for this show as hashtag innovation. Today's topic is preparing your uh, company for digital disruption. And our guests for today's show are Jim, uh, James McQuivy, who is a vice president and principal analyst for Forrester, and he's also the author of the book, Digital Disruption, Unleashing the Next Wave of Innovation. Good morning, James. How are you? Good morning. Very well. Thank you for having me. Oh, the pleasure and honor is all ours. So uh, life is good? Life is very good. It's disrupted, but it's good. <laughs> I like that. No pun intended here. Now, we also have Naomi Freed, who's the Chief Innovation Officer at Boston Children's Hospital with Harvard Medical School. Good morning, Naomi. How are you? Good morning, Sanjog. I'm terrific. Thank you for having me. Great, great. So uh, you are innovating your way to success? Uh, that's what we try to do every day. Great, great. And we have Rich Roth, who's the VP of Strategic Innovation with Dignity Health. So, Rich, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. It's uh, exciting to be uh, part of this uh, conversation with your excellent panelists this morning. Oh, great. And we will be looking forward to your comments as well. So the topic we are discussing today, digital disruption, is something of a mega trend. Digital as a way of disrupting the way business operates is, uh, seems to be here to stay and is changing the imp- and, and impacting every industry. We are only going to see these changes be more frequent and more rapid uh, in a few years. And that's what the tea leaves are saying, and we are already seeing it across the board, which, of course, prompted us to ask how an organization can prepare for this uh, next generation. James, when we look at the word, uh, this phrase, digital disruption, I'm sure everyone could have their own flavors in terms of definitions that they could come up with or interpretations. Let's let's at least try to define what fundamentally this means. Certainly. Well, it's very important that we distinguish digital disruption from what it could mean. A lot of people think digital disruption might be social media or mobile apps, and those things certainly end up getting involved. But what really is happening in digital disruption is two parts. Part one, you have consumers. Consumers have, and think of them as end users perhaps, uh, they have been digitally disrupted already. We have uh, more than 155 million iPads in the world, just as a very quick example. Uh, In the first two years, the iPad sold uh, 80 million units, and that is uh, about 80 times as successful as the iPod was when it was on sale just a decade earlier. Uh, so clearly consumers have have embraced the idea that digital services, digital devices, digital tools should change the way they experience their lives and not just the music they listen to or the newspaper articles they read, which is what you might have thought digital meant 10 years ago. Today it's everything. It's your health care. It's your financial services. It should change really everything you want to get done, whether it's picking up your child after school uh, or, or any even mundane task. Uh, so on the consumer side, that's the first part. Consumers are already disrupted. When we talk about digital disruption, though, 
we then talk about part two, which is the business side. All right, business, it's up to you now. The consumer is ready. Are you? You know, the tools are there. The platforms are there. The app environments are there. The consumer expectations are all there. Are you ready, though, to change the way you generate ideas, bring those ideas to fruition, test and develop those ideas in the marketplace, and deliver value to a consumer? And we're just finding that many companies, despite the uh, the the spirit being willing, the flesh is pretty weak in most of these companies, and so it's my job to go around and, and convince people to get into digital shape, if you will. So, Naomi, based on what uh, James shared in terms of the definition, do you feel in your role as a ch- uh, chief innovation officer that you are a kid in a toy store or you feel that you would get jitters if there was no technology folks around you. If I were to send your CIO to a sabbatical and say, here are the tools and toys available to you, can you conjure some good, good, uh, disruptive ways of changing your business? And are you doing that today? Absolutely. So, you know, healthcare went through or is going through actually a pretty major disruption right now um, around leveraging sort of basic digital tools such as um, the electronic medical record where healthcare is a pretty old and traditional uh, industry. And so the movement just from paper to electronic medical records was a big disruption uh, and change in the workflow for our clinicians. I think we're now at least Boston Children's Hospital ready to move on to the next wave of digital digital disruption and think about how we can leverage technology uh, to be more innovative. And um, I run the Innovation Acceleration Program at Boston Children's Hospital. And one of the programs we have is our Fast Track Innovation and Technology Award, where uh, innovators from around the organization can apply for a competitive award. And if they win uh, this award, they don't get money, as you might expect, but rather they get time with our development team, which will build out their new innovative software solution or mobile app. And this is really a way that's allowing us to connect with our doctors, with our nurses, with really our frontline staff um, who have the new ideas for how uh, our business can be run more efficiently, how we can leverage technology in order to uh, provide the next wave of digital disruption. So, Rich, what's so new about this? Because, of course, anytime a new technology came into being, we tried to use it, see, saw, tried to get the most value out of it. Yes, there is a, uh, a number of new technologies and ways to provision that technology has come about, but does that change the way you think about how you take care of your patients? Yeah, I mean, I think if you take a step back and you look at healthcare as an industry, um, it's an industry that needs uh, disruption. It's ripe for disruption. There are, you know, very, you know, very large human consequences every day with the healthcare system, you know, as it operates today, given its cost, given its safety record, um, given the millions of people that are, you know, uninsured uh, that walk through doors of our emergency departments every day. And so, what, what we've said with all of these levels of disruption, and whether that's, you know, the Healthcare Reform Act, whether that's, you know, the move I think Naomi talked about from paper to digital, um, that, you know, organizations need to step up and need to become part of um, this movement. Uh, and so we need to work with consumers. We need to work with entrepreneurs, and we need to, to do it that helps provide them kind of a leg inside healthcare to ensure that, 
you know, things that are being created have appropriate levels of safety, um, are integrated into, you know, an overall um, delivery system for care uh, so that we can take advantage of the real fantastic push that's going on out there with respect to consumers having more information and using that information and creating things based upon that information, but that also doesn't disaggregate that for when there are real problems, they can work with their physicians and their care teams to address them. So, James, do you think, and you, your comment uh, when you started defining what digital disruption is, you somehow were not as enthusiastic about how business is embracing it. Do you think because they are, unlike a consumer, feel that they have a huge sense of responsibility that instead of playing to win, they're playing not to lose? Oh, that is absolutely the right way to see most businesses, and I don't fault them for it. I, I think decades of I mean, most of us grew up in an analog era, and especially the people in the C-suite of most organizations. If you think of how old they are, typically, they grew up before America Online. They grew up before the Internet. And as a result, it is easier for them to conceive of a world where change is slow, where companies move slowly, and that that's not necessarily a bad thing from their perspective. It, it, it mitigates risk. It reduces potential losses. And, and remember, they're thinking of innovation from kind of the 1980s and the 1990s, where if something went wrong, it cost a fortune. You, you would be out uh, millions and millions of dollars. They haven't realized that digital disruption allows you to experiment on the margins for almost no cost, relatively speaking. And I, I go into companies and I try and convince them of this. You can actually experiment using digital tools and experiences for for pennies on the dollar compared to what it used to take to launch a new product experience back in the 1990s. And people doubted at first. And then they gradually realize, well, wait, we can do this. Digital disruptive tools are available to everyone, including big, slow, old organizations. So it's not that I'm not optimistic about them. It's that they just need to be retrained how they approach this. Naomi, do you think uh, there is uh, an inertia issue versus inclination issue? So I don't actually think the issue is lack of inclination in healthcare. I think that we have a very complex industry and one that's highly regulated. And so if people have ideas for new digital solutions, they need to make sure that they comply with HIPAA regulations, privacy, security. Um, it, it's not such an easy environment um, to rapidly innovate, um, which is why we have a, a dedicated team that focuses on um, helping uh, the innovators in our hospital build the solutions uh, that they want. There's a lot of interest, a lot of demand um, for new digital solutions, and certainly our younger population wants to have mobile apps in the clinical environment. They want to be leveraging their smartphones. They want to be using their iPads to help with patient care, to communicate, to access information. So the drive is very much there, but it's not a simple environment in which to operate in, unfortunately. Rich, when you look at what Naomi just mentioned, do you think that while this environment exists and it's going to be there, the compliance regulations, et cetera, are going to be there, are people taking that as a, a way to be slow or is that truly a damper or if there are exceptions where organizations who also are from, say, healthcare in your case or financial services, they have been able to 
bite the bullet and still go ahead and go do go that extra mile and really reap the benefits and they could be the role model for the rest you know i i definitely agree with naomi that anything that we need to do needs to be safe for patients and um, it needs to, um, you know, fit in the overall spectrum of care that our communities uh, expect. But it, it, at the same time, I think there are great examples of organizations all across this country that are trying to, to move forward in, in, a, uh, in, a, in a very um, proactive and focused way. And I'll, I'll give you an example of the program we're doing, um, which is called Run, Run, Jump. And so, um, you know, for anyone that's had kids and that have done swimming lessons uh, with their kids, and if you remember, they kind of sit on, uh, they're, you know, jumping into the water for the first time, and they're running alongside kind of a floaty or something like that, and then, you know, they jump in safely with people around them. And I think there's, uh, th- there's a good analogy there with the healthcare system and working with these digital disruptions. And so what we do is every year in, in three to five places, we do very um, controlled uh, trials and experiments with digital companies, uh, with new ways of, um, you know, interacting with patients and with physicians. Uh, and we do it initially in a, let's say, a rural setting with a certain number of patients. And then if that uh, really dedicated to focusing on improving quality, reducing costs, achieving real measures that are going to improve the triple aim. And so if it works in that setting, we may move it to a different setting. Maybe that's rural. Maybe we're comparing fee-for-service medicine versus value-based medicine or, you know, you know, certain demographics versus another demographic. And if we can do it in two different places in two different ways, you know, we jump, which is really our scaling mechanism. And, you know, so, you know, we're, we're definitely working to figure out how we incorporate all of these advances within the delivery system, but it does have to be in a, done in a way that complies to regulations and laws and, um, you know, the overall charism that we're trying to um, give to our communities. But I think that's doable. Uh, and I think one of the great challenges we have to other healthcare systems out there is, you know, what is the process that works for them? Clearly, Naomi's found one that works for their system um, that can allow them to take advantage and not really ignore this movement that, that James is talking about. Sandra, can I just add there? Yes, please go ahead. So uh, that's a great, great description of, of, a, of a process for getting there. And, and I think it's important. It's interesting for me as a, as a not a healthcare expert, uh, but I've been working with several of our healthcare clients to, to listen to both Naomi and Rich talk about their perspective because they are in a very regulated environment. And one of the things that we find, regardless of the industry that you're in, one of the things we find in digital disruption is that you have to learn how to rethink what it is that that you provide, what is the value or what are the benefits that you are tasked to provide. And that may be particularly challenging for healthcare, at least in the clients that I've worked with. They, they keep thinking that their job is to provide a hospital bed or a surgical procedure, and then you optimize your procedures around those steps. And what Rich is describing and Naomi is trying to get at with her organizational approach is breaking out of those narrow focuses and start thinking about a different kind of benefit or value. You know, in, the, in the case of healthcare, it might be that you think of wellness as your objective, and that might mean keeping someone out of the hospital bed entirely. And then you wonder, well, whose job is that? Is that the primary care physician? Is that the hospital? Is it the HMO's job to do about to do that? And in some cases, some people might say it's the government's job to do that. But the the real question is. Who will provide wellness? And meanwhile, within that regulated environment, there's people like Nike who are saying, well, you know what, we're really good at wellness. 
we, we give you some shoes and some shirts to help you run or whatever it is you want to do, but now we're going to give you a fuel band, which will motivate you and track you and help you compete or be motivated by your friends to stay healthy so that you never end up in that hospital bed. And, and that, from a social perspective, that's goodness if nobody ends up in that hospital bed. From a hospital's perspective, you now have to really rethink, what is our relationship to the customer? Do we partner with Nike in order to keep our customer out of our hospital beds? That kind of dramatic rethinking about what it is that you are supposed to do, what are you tasked with providing to the world, is just going on across every industry that I work with, and I think it's very exciting to watch. I think let's take a, a quick break, listeners. Uh, guys, hold your thought. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. And Naomi, I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, as, as a feedback on what uh, James just mentioned. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. HPE is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. All right. So great comments, James and Naomi. Take it away. Oh, thank you. So I just want to really uh, expand on uh, the point that James made, which was excellent, that we really need to think more broadly about our value proposition in order to stay competitive. And as a hospital, obviously our core value proposition is the clinical care. The way we've begun to really try to expand how we think about that is to think more about the patient experience and what it's like to be a patient in our hospital, not just the care they receive, but what else happens uh, while they're here and how can we enhance that 
experience. And we actually built a novel mobile app called My Passport for patients to use who have been admitted to the hospital. Because what we heard is that for patients and their families, it can be a very confusing time to be a patient in the hospital. They don't always understand what's going on or have access to information that would be helpful. So we've created this mobile app to help them with those challenges. And what My Passport offers to a patient and their family is, first of all, uh, access to the test results um, that have been taken, the lab results that uh, are coming back while they're uh, patient here. We also heard that um, patients were often confused about who exactly was on their care team and what their role was, because as an academic medical provider, there can be a veritable parade of uh, clinicians coming into the patient's room. So we added the capability in my passport for patients to see everyone on their care team, to see a picture of each person with their name and their role. We also heard from our patients that they didn't always understand what their uh, care plan was. So in my passport, there's now a place where the patient and the family can see what the care plan is, what it's going to take for the patient um, to be able to go home for a child. The child may have to have its fever uh, go down or a catheter removed and just sort of really helping the family understand what to expect. And finally, we also recognize that patients and their families have a lot of questions and there may not always be a provider in the room available to answer those questions. So in my passport, there's a way to send questions to your care team and get answers back. And this pilot that we've done at My Passport has really demonstrated to us what we sort of already knew, which is that patients care very much not just about the clinical care they're getting, but understanding the care process. And if we can create a way to help them access that information, uh, they are much happier. And we've really been getting tremendous uh, results back from our patients who are using the new mobile app, My Passport. You know, so, Richard, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna just add to that because I think what what Naomi's mentioning in terms of you know patient. I mean, patients are the most essential leg in the healthcare reform delivery system. And 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 when you think about you know reform, you know it's one that really wasn't touched as much as you know access or cost or some of the other elements of of uh, Obamacare. And so where 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 we're coming at this approach is is um, similar but a little different uh, in terms of what Naomi's doing and so you know I think there's been a lot done to help move from paper to digital content in healthcare but patient education is a place that I think is significantly behind and you know educational content for patients on new diagnoses or diseases or drugs it's rarely personalized it's, it's not easy to read it's it's not necessarily you know in multiple languages it's not necessarily vetted by physicians and you know obviously a lot of people go online and sometimes get more scared and come back to their doctors with even more questions or you know or, or at worst don't even communicate at all and so um, we're trying to get at this thing that you know why is there more information about buying a new camera than you know your surgery or your chronic disease that you may have and what, what we've decided to do is partner actually with an organization called Box, uh, a cloud-based provider called Box and we're um, jointly sponsoring innovation in this area. Um, we're trying to search for entrepreneurs that can develop um, on the Box platform ways that you know they can share the dignity uh, and other you know patient information uh, collaborate with that, open that up to others so that, you know, whoever they want to share their, um, you know, their medical history with, 
you know, whether that be a family member, whether that be a physician, whether that be an acupuncturist, a trainer, whoever's important to them, they can, you know, develop a collaboration tool to be able to get that information out and so they can be empowered. Uh, and so our, our concept really is uh, ensuring that the patient is in charge of their information and testing, um, you know, through this innovation challenge, a process by which, you know, we can really open up the walls all across the globe to try to solve this, this really challenging issue, which, um, you know, I, I'm not sure the healthcare system in and of itself can solve. You know, I want, if I can, I want to put a name to what, to what both Naomi and Rich are describing, because uh, in my book, I have a chapter about what's called a total product experience. And I'll use it as an example because it's very comparable, even though it doesn't have some of the healthcare issues associated with it. And that is, you buy a seat on an airplane. Let's say you fly on a Delta flight. And there is so much that's just purely physical about that experience. I mean, how do you get more analog than being you know, locked in an aluminum cylinder and thrown at a couple hundred miles an hour across the sky? There, there's not much digital to that product, but the experience of the product, how you find which flight to go on, how you find which seat you're going to sit in, how you even interact with the staff uh, when the problems arise or when problems don't arise. You know, you remember in the old days, for the people who fly as much as I have over as many years as I have, remember the old days, if you were hoping to get an upgrade because you're maybe, uh, you're not platinum, but you're gold or, or silver, and you get to the front desk at the time uh, that the plane is about to board, and you don't know how to beg and plead to get them to give you one of the upgrades. But you have this sense that there's some magic behind it and that maybe if you are sweet enough or are insistent enough, these people will grant you this favor. You know, I could imagine that being in a hospital bed feels like that for people. It's like if I say the right thing to the right people, I'll get the solution that I need. I'll get what I need as a customer of this institution. But now take, for example, the, uh, that Delta experience where the Delta experience now has this entire total product experience that's digital wrapped around that physical experience so that you can, days before, see which seat you have, maybe even jockey for a better seat. You can actually look at the list of how many people are ahead of you on the upgrade list so that you know whether to get your hopes up or not. And all of that control, that ability for the user uh, to be in control of their own experience and to have awareness and information, just as Rich and Naomi are describing in their customer situations, that's what digital is giving people like Delta but at almost no cost. And that's an important thing to, to point out here. There's a little bit of development cost to satisfy the customer at that level, but it scales so much better because you can apply it not only to one or two, but thousands of customers simultaneously with just a little bit of code and a little bit of software. And that's a powerful aspect of why digital is so useful. It improves the experience at relatively low cost per customer served. So, I, I think uh, we're Naomi. really excited. Oh, I just wanted to add on, you know, that we are starting to think about how to leverage um, digital and really layering on the digital experience and wrapping it around our patients. So it's taking some work, um, but we do have now a patient portal where they can log on and get information, um, you know, uh, make appointments, and then sort of at the other end, after they've they've 
been in the hospital, they've used my passport, they're getting ready to go home, we are piloting another innovation um, around the discharge process, a discharge communication platform that allows us to send text messages or email to um, the patient after they've left to check in with them and stay connected that way. So it's no longer just giving the patients uh, a couple pieces of paper that tells them what to expect. We now have uh, a digital uh, connection with them in terms of text message. They reply back to us, and then we follow up uh, as appropriate with the nurses calling them if, if there are issues uh, coming up. So I think we're slowly building that digital experience that we want the patients to have. And I do think that in healthcare, you know, our, our consumers, the patients, really do want to have all the digital tools available to them that they can access and they use in other industries. So I think there's really an imperative and an opportunity for us to uh, build these types of solutions and provide them to our patients that are, are, are starting to demand them. Namely, this is a little detail that I'd love to ask. Do you, in that, say, discharge experience, do you envision that at some point people might have in that, in a, say, an app version of that, a checklist that they can check off so that you actually get data on how effectively people are recovering according to plan? I mean, could that actually influence the kind of care you give in the future because it informs, you know, you give people a paper list and they go and they do whatever it says or they don't do it and you never know unless something goes tragically wrong. But I'm just wondering if it might actually be a feedback mechanism through that relationship that could improve the overall approach to care. Absolutely. I mean, we're starting very simply with just asking them questions like, you know, do you know what to do with your medications? Do you have a follow-up um, appointment set up and a few other basic questions, but it really does make a lot of sense to, you know, expand that connection and co collect that kind of data. We're hoping this type of communication and connection will help avoid um, unnecessary admissions and confusion mm -hmm. that the patient might otherwise have if they didn't have that connection uh, back Fabulous. to us. So, Rich, question for you. Uh, where we are talking about, like you just mentioned, there is not enough information for patients to be more informed and maybe take preventive steps to uh, to remain healthy. And then James mentioned about what Nike does to make people become more aware about their health so they ideally don't visit the hospital. Do you think when we talk about this digital disruption and its adaptation and manifestation into different uh, companies and their workflows, it has been selectively picked up wherever it does not directly create an adverse impact on the bottom line? Or is it being looked at fundamentally to say, if I maybe take a temporary hit, it's going to come back multifold going forward because the shift is actually happening and I cannot just have the old business models get me the new revenue going forward? Yeah, I mean, obviously, healthcare is in the midst of, you know, a transformation from volume at, or fee-for-service to value. And, you know, every single community across the country is taking a different trans transformation across that. And when you're, when you're in a large system like Dignity, it's great to see, you know, there's different paces that you can test and trial things so that they're ready, you know, maybe in today's environment that's moved a little bit more towards value. Uh, and then in another community, you know, where, where it's not quite ready, you know, you can test it and, and, and you know, have it ready when that, when that shift occurs. What, what I am most excited about in this world is sensors. Uh, because I think sensors can collect information and they can collect and communicate information in a way that's rather seamless to people. And my big belief with a lot of the consumer tools in healthcare and why there's not wide adoption is they're just not simple. I mean, no one wants to go home and do eight hours of online banking, but somehow we expect 
you know, people to go home and, you know, log something about their diabetes for, you know, 40 minutes and then something about their asthma for 40 minutes and, you know, get, get a lot of satisfaction out that while they still have got to get the kids dinner and do homework and a whole bunch of other things. And so, uh, and maybe even relax for a little while. And so sensors are just really exciting to me. And what we're do, what, one example of what, we, what we're doing and, and what we've seen others do uh, uh, is um, putting sensors on top of asthma inhalers. And so we're working uh, with, um, with about 500 patients right now in a clinical trial where we're putting these sensors on top of asthma inhalers. It, it tells the uh, patient where and when and how often they use their asthma inhaler and, and presents that to them in a very compelling and easy-to-use interface, also to their caregivers. And so, you know, if the patient is using that asthma inhaler 10 times a day, but they really thought they were only using it two times a day, um, you know, we can intervene, maybe adjust medication, maybe educate so that, you know, they don't end up in the emergency room or they don't end up in an admission or, or some other critical type of thing um, that could have been prevented in a way that um, we, we uh, now have because we have sensor technology. And so when I think of disruption uh, in the healthcare arena, I think sensors are going to be a, a really great wave, whether that's the Nike fuel ban or whether that's sensors on things that people need to use for their medical conditions. Let's take a quick break, listeners, when we come back. Uh, James, if we were to look at across multiple industries and we are trying to uh, introduce these elements of digital disruption, and we spoke about a couple of innovations, what is it that business needs to see in terms of ROI so that the adoption becomes more pervasive, there is more investment made versus something, whatever the things that we have spoken about, they look like, yes, they could be game-changing, but they are still peripheral and they are not uh, you know, very core to the business yet. But if digital disruption was to actually create uh, disruptive change and disruptive levels of value and quantum change, perhaps it has to hit the core. What's the motivation? And for that, what's the ROI can be promised through these digital disruption-related uh, uh, initiative? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration. And manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant. 
like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use Ring Central, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, James, let's look at the very core why a business would be motivated to go full throttle on digital disruption-related initiatives. ROI, what is it that you're touching? Is it just going to be peripheral? It's going to be only giving you a good PR? Or are we talking about some hard-dollar savings and or revenue growth? So the challenge that, that I face in trying to communicate to companies why you should do this is that when we're talking about ROI, uh, if that is the question that an executive comes to me with, I know we're, we've already half lost the battle in that conversation because, um, and I'm not alone in this actually, Clayton Christensen, who's really the father of disruptive, disruptive innovation at Harvard Business School, uh, he's actually working on a book that he's mentioned uh, a little bit in the press, and I sat and chatted with him privately recently about it. Uh, his next book is about why well, not just this, but about why ROI is exactly the wrong tool to use to evaluate the future. And there's a variety of reasons why, but the main reason why is that you actually can't know the future. And go back 10, 20 years ago, there was some reliability in knowing the future because the future evolved relatively slowly in most cases. There were occasional cases, and, and Dr. Christensen is the one who's documented those cases, but there were most cases you could count on the industry that you were in slowly moving towards change. And uh, however, we're live, we live in a world where, go back to 2010, before the iPad was even released, it was impossible to predict how successfully it would sell and then what the ramifications or implications of the iPad success would be on every other business out there. Believe me, I was trying to forecast it, so I, I know how hard it was to do. So what I try to do is move people away from ROI. And, and the best way I do it is by convincing people to look at opportunity. And when you think of it as opportunity, sometimes it's helpful to think of the opportunity in terms of the competitive threat that that opportunity represents. Let me give you just a quick example that I find is, illustrates well, and it's useful because it applies you know, generally to a variety of industries. But let's imagine, for example, that you get up in the morning and that you walk into your bathroom, and the mirror in your bathroom is not actually a mirror. It's a, it's a display, and it has a 3D camera in it, maybe like the Kinect camera from the Xbox, and it has voice control, and it uses your mobile phone to... Uh, to interact with you so that, uh, or perhaps a gesture, interf- you know, any number of cool science fiction things that you want to envision in that bathroom, go, go for it. Now imagine that you want to use that tool to get ready in the morning. Uh, say if you're uh, a woman applying makeup or if you're a man trying to get a sense of whether or not that tie matches that shirt. Could that mirror help you do that? Well, it certainly can. Uh, and the, in the future it will. But lem- the reason why I bring up this example is that uh, 
the first question that you should have if you are anywhere near that industry, health, wellness, beauty, uh, fashion, is that you should say, wait a minute, who is going to build that experience? Because 20 years ago, you might have thought, okay, Sony has to build that device, and then they have to sell it, and then we have to figure out how to use it as a channel, the way retailers or manufacturers are trained historically to think of reaching their customer. But today, that's not the way anybody has the luxury to approach it. They can't wait for Samsung to build the device, because it might be that Amazon builds it. Imagine that there's a Kindle mirror in your future. And if Amazon builds it, Amazon is going to be in control of what products get on that mirror. And so you can't wait for them to build it. You have to find someone to partner with. So if I am L'Oreal, I'm not waiting. I'm contacting somebody else. And in fact, that's just about what L'Oreal has already done. In January of 2013, the global CMO of L'Oreal, remember, this is not a technology company. They don't even have a direct relationship with their customers. They're a channel marketer. They showed up at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas of January of this year, to talk about their Xbox app. Now, could you imagine trying to convince somebody the ROI of an Xbox app inside of L'Oreal? It's got to be impossible, because really there is no ROI. But in the end, in the long term, why you're building that Xbox app is that there are tens of millions of women who use Xbox, and there are hundreds of millions of women who are watching YouTube videos about how to apply makeup on the Internet. Well, if you could get some of those women who watch YouTube videos to watch your videos on your Xbox app, and then you can gradually improve the experience so that you use the Kinect 3D camera so that it can actually model your face in three dimensions and show what your face might look like after a particular cosmetics treatment uh, is applied before you even apply it. Well, now that is a customer relationship that L'Oreal wants to have. But here's the point. L'Oreal is only motivated in that to do that, not just because it'd be fun and neat, but because Sephora, the retailer, is interested in that. And Amazon, the retailer with a technology history, is interested in that. You go down the line, Google could be making this uh, at any moment using its Nexus skills and its Google Now voice interaction uh, capabilities. There's any number of people who are just about to take that customer relationship that L'Oreal wants and make it their own. And that's why I say, you know, even if we're talking about hospitals, Nike is now a competitor or a partner, depending on how you see it, because they're taking the attention of the customer. And so rather than starting from an ROI perspective, I ask companies to think of your digital customer relationship. How deep is it? How many minutes of engagement does it generate? And how many opportunities for expanding your product portfolio and experience does that relationship give you? And if that relationship is one way, because it's just an outbound marketing relationship or it's an email uh, list that you have, or if that relationship is only periodic, you're at risk. And you, it's not about an ROI of that investment. It's about even trying to still be in business five years from now if you don't invest in that relationship. So I've evaded your question on the one hand, but that's the answer that I really give people. And I find that it's, it's motivating to them. I think so, that's a great example for us um, in healthcare, if I may, um, you know, in terms of looking at competitive threats coming from surprising places. So we're now competing with Walmart. How, how is a children's hospital com 
competing with, you know, a big retailer. Well, Walmart and others are offering Minute Clinics, a new venue for you to get the type of care uh, that you need, those those quick uh, primary care visits. So here's a competitive threat that we need to respond to. We've got a customer relationship potentially being disrupted. And so the way we're thinking about this is how we can now disrupt the way we deliver care to our patients also and maybe even extend beyond what Walmart's offering by actually uh, uh, providing care through the telehealth mechanism, the idea that care will be delivered virtually, the patient doesn't actually have to physically be with a doctor or a nurse, but that we can deliver care to patients at home, leveraging technology. And so we need to disrupt ourselves and start offering, and we are working on this, and we have a number of pilots in the area of telehealth, but the virtual delivery of care so that the care that we're losing where patients now are going to a slightly more convenient location like a minute clinic, we can actually get those customer relationships back and we can provide the care again directly to the patient in a new, more innovative uh, way, allowing them to have uh, the care from the convenience of their home. Yeah, Rich, so question for you. Now, you've heard what James mentioned and what Naomi mentioned. Do you think if you if you were to really take those examples, Naomi mentioned that the, the healthcare industry would wake up and try to figure out what to do because Walmart came up with this minute clinic. And James mentioned that, you know, uh, L'Oreal came up with this Xbox idea and then the whole value chain is coming up. If you were to look at your business or, or your industry, if you will, do they need to be shaken up? Should there be a wake-up call? Or would they allow you to say, I'm going to think about the future while I'm thinking about the shareholders' value? I'm just trying to be uh, bringing you back onto this. I think the ACA was a wake-up call. I think exactly what Naomi and James are talking about are wake-up calls. I think the exchanges, as they roll out in probably year two, are going to be wake-up calls because there's going to be lots of disruptive products and um, solutions out there that are going to challenge everyone um, to participate. And, you know, it's interesting as, as you're talking about, um, you know, this, I'm, I'm really thinking about, uh, you know, not only these high-tech um, disruptive, um, collaborative innovations, but also things that, you know, are, are lower tech and can, and can really improve care. And, you know, I, I'll talk about a campaign that we're doing right now called Hello Human Kindness, uh, which is um, really about um, the fact that researchers have found that, you know, care delivered with compassion can reduce stress levels, it can help uh, quicken recovery, and that, um, you know, we, we see kindness as uh, something that in this kind of hurried and, and frazzled world um, can really be something that's valued and celebrated in, in a much deeper way. And by being kind to one another, um, we, can, we, we can probably impact, you know, how um, health care is uh, delivered and received in, in all of our communities. And we've actually uh, launched a campaign online, digitally, socially, to really increase um, the amount of sharing and the amount of discussion around, um, you know, what is being kind in society today and how um, that can, you know, lift all kinds of measures for, um, for uh, the world. And, you know, you know whether, whether you look at that as a digital disruption or, or, or another type of intervention, we really believe that getting masses of people involved in a conversation around um, something such as this, you know, in a variety of different ways, and whether they're sharing videos, whether they're commenting on stories, 
um, or, or, and hopefully whether they're acting um, with kindness in different ways or is going to help change things. And so, you know, again, we really embrace um, expanding upon our walls because, you know, as large as we are, um, we're, you know, so we're the fifth largest health system. Well, there's many more health systems larger than us. And, you know, healthcare is one egg segment of the world. And, and, you know, we need to expand our walls to get better ideas and to make broader impact in a movement. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And since this is the last segment, we should look at what do you do to prepare your organizations? Everybody has great ideas, and we also want to do great things. So intent is there, and perhaps the talent is also there. But if there is something missing, what is it? Are we not thinking collectively? Are we not getting the right type of consultative outside input? Are we not getting charged up enough? Where is it? What do you do to prepare? And what type of leadership needs to be demonstrated? Let's explore that when we come back. Please stay wait is that your pager there's nostalgic and then there's completely irrelevant like having a hardware heavy business phone system these days over 300,000 businesses use ring central the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at 1999 a month per user so get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com the u.s. and canada represent just five percent of the global population but collectively we consume about thirty five percent of the world's resources supply is not keeping up with demand so change is not an option it's imperative Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HPE is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use Ring Central, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Naomi, if you were to... Uh take a playbook or create a playbook or think about a playbook which will allow an organization to prepare for digital disruption where there are competitive pressures, even though there's no competition with your fellow hospital because you're a not-for-profit, but still there is a pressure to do better. 
so how would you I, prepare an organization? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. What we're really talking about is how do we create a culture of innovation where innovation can thrive in an organization. And I think there's a couple components. I think, first of all, you really need commitment by the leadership um, to innovate, to recognize um, strate- the strategic need uh, within the organization. Uh, second of all, I think that the organization needs to get comfortable with taking risk and recognizing that innovation doesn't happen um, without uh, some uncertainty. There's no guarantee when you when you innovate. And then I think to build a culture of innovation, we also need really to provide some resources, um, put place some bets, put a little bit of money behind these new ideas. Um, and really understand how innovation is going to play out, that people are going to try things, some of them will fail, there'll be learnings, there's an iterative, pro- an iterative, iterative process that can be done quickly and relatively cheaply, and really understand that ultimately the benefits of innovation are when they're applied uh, broadly across the organization and that you do get to uh, a new state. And so I think that leadership, comfort with risk, resources, and understanding innovation and having the patience uh, it takes is what um, organizations need to do to create an internal culture uh, that will take them to the next level. Rich, in your world, do you think you are educating your own bosses appropriately and or are able to do so in order for them to give you the free reign to do what you're supposed to do and also work with people who are in downstream, uh, folks who are in, who are reporting to you or maybe who you're influencing and finally with their value chain players so that when you're innovating, you're not just doing it in a silo mode? Yeah, I mean, everything Naomi said was spot on in terms of, you know, a, a real playbook for how you appropriately do this. And I think that's why, you know, um, they've been so successful. Uh, you know, I, I believe um, one of the challenges that we all have is that we can't do this in isolation, that we, um, you know, pairs are be- becoming providers, uh Providers are becoming service companies. Um, it, it, it is a meshing of a world here. And if we can't figure out a way to co-innovate with others on that value chain um, and to support one another, I think that um, that is a huge missed opportunity for the industry. I mean, we, um, we've done some some great work trying to reach out, and others have re- reached out to us. But I think um, to the extent that we are doing these things together, it helps overcome um, some of the, I think, natural resistance that, you know, you've been alluding to over the over the past hour. Now, uh, James, there are two flavors of people, someone, or actually three, I'd say, some who don't believe in or understand what we are just talking about for the last hour. Another one, they're on the fence, they understand, they don't know how to do it. And third are the ones who have tried, they have a toe, they put their toe in the water, and now they're trying to maximize. What would be your selective advice for all three camps in order for them to build and prepare their yeah. organization so that they can get most value? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, actually, that first group is not as big as you think. Uh, we did a, a global survey of a couple hundred executives in a variety of industries, and we found that 89% of these executives believe that digital is about to transform or is already transforming their industry. Um, so there's there's really very few people who are just coming to this for the first time now. The the bigger camps are the last two that you mentioned, and probably the the middle group, which is the people who are wondering what to do about it. 
Um, and, and this was also illustrated in that same survey because we found that about 67% of the people that we surveyed in, uh, told us that they felt like their company had the energy and the excitement about digital, that they weren't running scared from it, that, that this was going to be positive for them. But then when we asked them detailed questions, like, do you have the skills necessary? Do you, are you going to invest the right amount of money? The numbers fell into the 30%. People just aren't confident that their company is going to be able to organizationally respond to the opportunity no matter how much excitement people feel for it and no matter how much they believe it's really going to happen. Uh, and part of that comes from having tried before and not exactly having had it work having it uh, had worked out like the like they might have hoped um, but in many cases it's really just we don't know how to innovate organizationally and and actually i'm in the middle of a extended piece of research right now where we're taking this to the next step and we've taken those barriers some of which that both uh that both um uh rich and uh um and uh i'm sorry i'm totally blanking on Naomi's name sorry about that Naomi. rich and Naomi both brought up these ideas of of what we have discreetly separated as structural factors, cultural factors, and what we call procedural factors. And in under structural factors are things like how many layers of middle management are between good ideas and their execution, how much does senior management understand what's going to happen, and are they personally committed to making sure it happens. There's a variety of factors under there. The cultural issues, as, as Naomi specifically identified, uh, are absolutely vast. You know, do we live in the past? Are we constantly afraid of the failures we've made in the past? Are we constantly romanticizing our previous successes and hoping to extend them as long as possible using prior methods? There's just a variety of... Well, the point is this. You've got to tackle all three of these things at the same time. You've got to tackle the procedural, the cultural, and the structural things, and that requires a very, very significant commitment from the senior people, communicated effectively down, and then... And then they have to give permission for the people all the way down to go out and start doing it and learn what it takes to do it. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd uh, really like to thank you, James, Naomi, and Rich, for sharing your thoughts on how an organization uh, can prepare their own uh, their companies for digital disruption and as well as their value chain partners. Thank you so much again. It was a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And listeners, hope you enjoyed uh, what you heard today, got some pointers out of it. Please like us. Uh, if you did on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio. And please be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.